Welcome to Extreme Genes, brought to you by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This week on Extreme Genes Family History Radio, could your response to COVID-19 have anything to do with DNA you inherited from Neanderthals? Hi, it's Fisher, and I'll be talking to Dr. Scott Woodward about a recent study that suggests that's the case. Plus, we're going to dive into full genome sequencing. Why would you want to have that test done? What could it reveal to you? How much does it cost? That's all this week on Extreme Genes Family History Radio, brought to you by FamilySearch.org. Discover, gather, connect. A presentation of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Greetings, genies, and welcome to America's Family History Show, Extreme Genes and ExtremeGenes.com. It is Fisher here, your radio root sleuth, on the program where we shake your family tree and watch the nuts fall out. I can't believe this our 350th episode. Unbelievable. Thank you so much for all the support through the years. We have a lot of fun. And uh, coming up later on in the show, we're going to talk to Dr. Scott Woodward, the DNA specialist. We're going to be talking about Neanderthal DNA and how it could affect your reaction to COVID-19. Unbelievable. We're also going to talk about full genome sequencing and what you can learn from it. So we've got some great stuff coming up with Dr. Woodward here later on in the show. Hey, don't forget to sign up for our weekly Genie newsletter. You can do it through our website, ExtremeGenes.com, or on our Facebook page. It's absolutely free. You get a blog from me each week, a couple of links to past and present shows, and links to stories that you will find fascinating as a genealogist. Right now, it's out to Boston, Massachusetts. David Allen Lambert is standing by, the chief genealogist of the New England Historic Genealogical Society and AmericanAncestors.org. Hello, David. Hey, happy sesquar centennial anniversary of the episode today. Is that what it is? <laughs> that is the word, sesquar centennial. It sounds very Bostonian, doesn't it? It S- does. S-E-S- Q-U-A-R-C-E-N-T-E-N-N-I-A-L. Oh. I'd just as soon say 350th, but thank you very much. For yeah, that. it takes a couple extra seconds of airtime. It's <laughs> a big word for everyone today. There you go. So what's new with you? Well, I'm working on a story about my fourth great grandfather, who was a revolutionary soldier, but he was an orphan first and raised by his uncle and his town was attacked and all kinds of good stuff. So I'm doing that. And I've got to notice, by the way, the International Conference on Jewish Jewish genealogy is coming up. Uh, they're hoping for Philadelphia next August 2nd through 5th. It's from IAJGS, of course. And uh, they're taking a call for proposals right now. So if you'd like to speak at this or do a presentation, you can go to uh, www.iajgs2021.org. And you got till November 19th to get that done. So that's uh, going to be a lot of fun coming up next August. Wouldn't it be nice if this could actually take place in person? Keep your fingers crossed. That would be wonderful. I'd take anything in person. I would even lecture at a coffee shop if people could sit around and listen. <laughs> well, you know, our first story has a connection with Jewish heritage. Martin Goldsmith, who lives in Kensington, Maryland, now has in his possession something that belonged to his grandparents. Well, many of us do, but many of us don't have to rescue it from a museum that had got it from the Nazis. Oh. Uh, this is a 16th century kettle that his ancestors owned, and it's a beautiful little piece. It's valued at only $2,500, but I'm sorry. Something like that is priceless. And it's an amazing story, and it's on ExtremeGenes.com. And you can find out about how it took 86 years to get it back. Yes, and Martin's grandparents were killed in the Holocaust, so this is a particularly incredible heirloom. 
Well, you know, I'd like to always highlight either a blogger or a database from time to time. And there's a new one at American Ancestors I thought I'd talk about, and that's the Boston, Massachusetts Provident Institution for Savings. And this is records from 1817 to 1882. And what's really interesting is over 54,000 searchable names, you'll find people that were immigrants, and they would record their next of kin and their connection. They were giving money back home or the native country in which they were from, and that's a really critical piece of information when doing genealogy when uh, it might give a better location than, say, maybe what you find on the census. So that's on AmericanAncestors.org. Another database that I'd love to tell everyone about, go across the pond from New England to Old England, and the British Library has just released 18,000 maps in view for free. And again, you'll find this story on ExtremeGenes.com, and the total count fish is 40,000 maps and views altogether when you kind of look at all the different images within it. so, But it's amazing. And these are part of the topographical collection of King George III. Yeah, we didn't really think highly of him over no. here in Boston, but I'll look at his maps for free. Absolutely. <laughs> so. and, and they're digitizing all this material. It's not all digitized yet. But here's the best part, David. No copyright restrictions. You can use it oh, as you yes. wish. Are you paying in, attention? In New York. In New York City, are you listening to <laughs> this? Is. This is really Really exciting and good stuff. And you know, the fun things about a lot of those old maps is how detailed they are as compared to many maps today. Right. In fact, the cover uh, image shows old London Bridge with all the structures on it. And you would think that somebody had to use a copper engraving a line and scratch these things in. It's amazing, the detail on yeah. some of the old copper engravings. Or better yet, they drew them or painted them by hand. So uh, great stuff for people researching in jolly old England. My next interesting story I want to share with you is actually one called Salvaging Another Piece of Black History. And this comes from the Harvard And it's about a group of African-Americans for 15 years that have gone out searching for artifacts from sunken slave ships to Tuskegee Airmen planes. So this is kind of an interesting group. And um, Albert Jose Jones and Jay Hagler, who was a master scuba diver, are working to reclaim this history to help tell the story itself. In fact, they were called in to investigate a Spanish treasure galleon called the Henrietta Marie, and a British slave ship that sank off the coast of Florida around 1701. So interesting things are being uncovered under the ocean from a past that isn't that long ago. That's right. For our radio listeners, happy Halloween. On the American Ancestors Facebook page, as well as on American Ancestors YouTube channel, which is YouTube slash user slash American Ancestors slash videos, you can actually check out all things macabre. It's a mini lecture that I did on death records, cemeteries, and yes, witches. So if you have a chance and you want to watch something a little academic and a little fun this Halloween or right after Halloween for our podcast listeners, check out All Things Macabre, and I would be deeply grateful for your feedback. Talk to you soon, my friend. All right. Thank you very much, David. I got to tell you, from the first time I ever met Dr. Scott Woodward, I've always enjoyed every time we've had him on the show, the first time he drew my blood 20-some-odd years ago. Hey, it's Fisher here. It's Extreme Genes. We're back, and uh, I'm talking to Dr. Scott Woodward again. It's great to have you on the show, Scott. Thanks, Scott. Good to be back. I am uh, very excited to talk to you about this because this was an interesting little story that came out uh, just in the last few weeks. And it talks about Neanderthal DNA 
and how it can affect our reaction to the coronavirus and whether it becomes a severe reaction in COVID-19. And we see, for instance, on 23andMe, where sometimes we might have more Neanderthal DNA than somebody else that we match. And that was always kind of fun and interesting and unique and gave us reasons to tease other people. But now we're looking at going, oh, wait a minute, the, these Neanderthals are coming back and they might actually have something to do with whether we live or die. I mean, it's crazy. It is crazy. Being able to identify bits and pieces of our DNA that are shared with what we know about Neanderthal DNA. Of course, yeah. Neanderthals have been extinct for tens of thousands of years, but it seems like that there was a time probably about oh, sometime between 35 and 50,000 years, there was an inbreeding event between Neanderthals and anatomically modern humans, us. Okay. And as a result of that, we got some Neanderthal genes in our gene pool, and some of them have stuck around. Okay. Probably between about 1% and 4% of our genome today in modern humans probably derived from that interbreeding event that happened 50,000 years ago. So what are these genes that, then, <laughs> yes. that we have? You know, what do they do? What do these Neanderthal genes do for they, us? They give us high sloping foreheads, right? <laughs> Some it does. I, mean, I swear I walked down the hall of the university. Well, I used to walk down the hall. Now it's all online. And look at the phenotypes of individuals walking down the hall and think that mm, that person might have about 10% Neanderthal. <laughs> but, but actually, the university that I teach at now doesn't have a football team, so I don't see quite as many. <laughs> But there are some regions of our genome that we can attribute to Neanderthals Okay. that we can also attribute to different phenotypes that we have. For instance, there's a region of DNA in this Neanderthal DNA that's found in us that may give people in Tibet an advantage living at high altitude. Huh. Okay. So, so it's not all bad. One of those. No, no, there's some advantage of us. And that brings us around to COVID 19. COVID is an RNA virus that has its own genome of about 30,000 base pairs. And it is like other RNA viruses in that it mutates relatively rapidly, it changes its coat. <laughs> Okay. Uh, it has a coat of many colors, and right. it can change quite often. It hasn't done a whole lot of that yet, but there have been enough changes that we now recognize about a half a dozen different strains of COVID that are circulating around in, in the world population. And so these genes are out there, and we wondered, uh, you know, these different strains based on their DNA sequence that are out there. And we wondered, well, is there a difference in the severity of the infection of an individual with the different strains? And it doesn't look like so much yet. There might be one or two that are more easily spread, but it didn't have a lot to do with the severity of the disease. Sure. So we started looking at our genomes, just our regular genomes, and asking the question, are there regions of our genome that can predict whether or not a person would have severe disease versus a light disease? That's a big conversation right now that goes on. <laughs> yeah, there. of course. Some people are totally asymptomatic and some people die. And so what is the difference between that? And is there a genetic difference in those individuals? 
Well, about a month ago, there was a region of DNA that was found, two of them actually. Okay. One on chromosome three and one on chromosome nine. The region on chromosome nine is closely connected or closely linked with the gene that determines our blood type, like A, B, A, B, or O. And it looked like people who had type O blood were less likely to have severe disease, which means they didn't have the respiratory problems right. associated with the disease. And then there was another region that's found on chromosome three that uh, in that region, there's about, oh, about a half a dozen other genes that are known to inhabit that region on chromosome three. And that one also gave individual, if they had a particular version of that region, they got severe disease. Okay. So this was interesting. And so this is when Pablo and his group with the Neanderthals, so Pablo has, has who, who, done, is, who is Pablo? Yeah, Savanti Pablo is the Neanderthal DNA guy in the world. Okay. He was among the first to sequence the Neanderthal genome, and he has been collecting dozens and dozens of different Neanderthal sequences and analyzing them and comparing them with modern humans and other ancient sequences, Denisovians and Florensians. But we can talk about those guys on another that's a, day. That's another time, yeah. The Neanderthals yeah. have our attention right now. Right. And so what he found is that when he compared the Neanderthal genomes to that region on chromosome 3, he found that it matched, that it looks very much like that region in modern humans today probably derived from Neanderthals. And oh boy. Yeah. And it, it's a region that gives us a, a more severe reaction to, mm -hmm. to COVID-19. And so he says, well, why, why would that be? And his hypothesis, and this hasn't been tested yet, but it's a hypothesis that's out there, is that this is a region that conferred on Neanderthals strong resistance against viruses. They kept them alive when viruses uh, attacked. I see where okay. you're going because this this is the overreaction we're hearing about so much now, right? Exactly. So the disease. So we have a lot of people who get COVID. Most of them don't have a severe reaction, but a small percentage, just about that same percentage of people who have Neanderthal DNA, same amount of Neanderthal DNA in them, have strong reactions. Wow. So this is an overreaction in modern humans that are making people severely ill. Now, you've made me think about a story I saw maybe two months ago, and I thought I, I dismissed it out of hand and I didn't think much about it. And it was out of Spain, and they were talking about all these people that were in the hospital with COVID, and they noticed how many of them were men and how many of them were bald. Does that tie in with this in any way, do you think? I haven't... Um... Those types of observations, I think, should not be dismissed out of hand. Right. <laughs> but what we need to do, we do know that there are about a half a dozen different regions in our genome that are corresponding with different types of baldness, male pattern baldness, right. other alopecia baldness type things. And I, I haven't looked, so I don't know mm. off the top of my head, but... Those would be the types of places that we would look again for, uh, you know, you make an observation like that. And then we now have the data 
that we can go out and yeah. actually analyze a hypothesis like that and see whether or not that that fits. So, so for those of us who get a, a response to our DNA results on uh, 23andMe, and it says uh, you have more Neanderthal DNA than 84% of all the other people who have tested, would that mm-hmm. suggest that you might be at greater risk then? And is there a percentage of being, you know, higher than somebody else that might say, okay, I start to get to this level, you, you need to be extra careful? No, I think we need to be very, very careful about that. That uh, estimate that's given to you by any of the genetic testing companies, don't drill down deep enough to tell you whether or not you have this particular region that has now been associated with severity of disease. And so you have to be very careful about that because that 4% or 1% is spread throughout the entire genome. Okay. And you may or may not have this particular part of the genome in common with Neanderthals, but to have other parts of the genome in common with Neanderthals that have nothing to do with the severity of COVID. So we have to be pretty careful about that. Right. So if we see these higher percentages and say, you know, you're practically climbing trees compared to your neighbors, that isn't anything that should (laughs) send up red flags. That's correct. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. Don't. Yeah. Don't. Don't use that by itself. That, so, uh, if we yeah. were to go look at our uh, our genome as at least as as it's presented on Twenty Three and Me or elsewhere, would would you say that there's anything you could look at there that would tell you that you have this added risk? Yeah, there are a couple of SNPs that are associated. There's a SNP that's associated with location on chromosome 3, and there's another SNP that is associated with the location on chromosome 9. Right. But we all have 3 and 9. I mean, how do we know if our little segment on 3 and 9 has to do with the Neanderthal DNA? Right. You would have to compare the individual SNPs that are in that region uh, and see whether or not they most closely align with the Neanderthal genome or with the modern human genome. So in in the research papers that, that talk about these two loci in our genome, that people who have more severe reactions to COVID share. And so they have a region on chromosome 9 that is closely linked to blood type. Mm-hmm. And it showed that people who essentially have type O blood have a less severe reaction to COVID. Now, right. that's not an absolute. So, sure, because there are other there things be, that are involved. Yeah. There could be obesity. There could be underlying conditions, yes. age, all those things, right? Yeah. So just because you have type O blood, which I have, <laughs> <laughs> I I am not going to go around without my mask and uh, no, know, that'd be mingle, silly. In, mingle in large groups. Sure. Because because it's not 100% preventative. Right. In fact, all it is is a slight indication that I would have a less severe case mm-hmm. if, I, if I got that, okay? But we can't find this out from our standard DNA test that we've done to identify our great-grandparents or a distant cousin, right? No. Those particular SNPs that have been 
found in the last month or so that are associated with this phenotype of susceptibility or, or less susceptibility to infection by COVID are not in the traditional uh, 23andMe or Ancestry uh, 750,000 SNPs that they test. So, so where do we in, go from there? Is there a, yeah, is there a bigger test? There is, actually. There is available now to the general public where you can get your entire genome all 3.6 billion base pairs of your <laughs> genome sequenced. Wow. And, and, and this is just amazing to me because back in the 90s when we first did the original human genome sequence, right. it cost about $3 billion to get the first human genome sequence. Wow. Okay? That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money, yeah. Yeah. Now, Today, yeah. if you look for the cells, <laughs> you can probably get it somewhere around 400 bucks. That's insane. That's so from insane. $3 billion 30 <laughs> years ago, yes. now it costs you 400 bucks. That's insane. Um, now, who's doing it? What are the, what's the company? Um, Anything well, we've heard one, of before? Well, the one that I've used for me and my wife and some of my kids has been a lab out of Italy called Dante Labs. Uh-huh. And, I think uh, of Infernos when I hear that yeah. name. <laughs> so, did, so did I. And I wondered at the beginning, because when I first got mine, it, it took a long, long time to get my results back. And I wondered if I just had you know, sent my money to Dante's Inferno. Right. <laughs> but it did come back, and I was able to compare it with my results from other, uh, like the ancestry results I had, the 23andMe results to see whether they were the same, comparable, and they were, but the Dante results gave me just so much more data that now I can go in and look at these loci that are reported in the papers this last okay. month about Neanderthals. Yeah, and has it told you anything? Yeah, so I found out that on chromosome 3, the one that gives the hyperreaction, or that's what we think that it does, sure. I don't have the Neanderthal version. I have the human version. Aha. Uh -huh. So that's good for me, I think. Yeah. And then on the chromosome 9 SNPs, the ones associated with blood type, I have the SNPs that associate me with type O blood, which gives me also the less severe reaction. Wow. And so I feel pretty good. Yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> about that. You don't Although, have to invest said, in so many masks now. Well, as I said before, <laughs> I'm still wearing my mask and yep. I'm going to stay away from people. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you don't want you want to test this results hands. and go they were wrong, yeah. they were right. Who yeah, knows? I I don't want to be the guinea pig. So why would somebody do a full genome DNA test uh, at Dante Labs? Oh. There are all kinds of things that you can find out about your genome, and, and it's sitting there. So two months ago, I didn't have any idea to look at these SNPs that it would say anything about COVID. But once those papers are published, they'll publish the SNPs, and I can go and I can look at my genome to see what is my genotype with respect 
to those SNPs. And essentially any study that comes out now, I can go back and I can look to see whether or not I have the susceptible SNPs or whether I have the resistant SNPs or the normal or the abnormal at essentially any place in the genome. Wow. Yeah. And what else can it tell you? I mean, what do they give you with these results? <laughs> well, a fun thing that I've been playing with over the last few weeks is some SNPs that have been identified with risky behavior. Okay. To, okay. <laughs> All right. So there's a whole bunch of things. Do you have there. these? Well, um, I have some. Okay. And what, <laughs> and what, are you, uh, what do you have a tendency to misbehave with? Um, I uh, I like things like jumping out of airplanes and rock climbing, oh. and according to my genes, and that actually is pretty close right on. I, really? I did not want to jump out of an airplane the first time my wife made me do it, mm-hmm, but I really mm-hmm. enjoyed it. It was a big rush, so I thought, hmm, that's pretty good. Uh, same thing with rock climbing. I do that. Now, here's here's one that my wife and I have argued a lot about, <laughs> Yes, and that there are actually SNPs that are associated with automobile speeding propensity. Ah. So, so who's the speedy you, Gonzalez in your family? Yeah, that would not be me. Okay. And <laughs> it would be my wife. And I'm not sure I want the insurance company to know that. <laughs> ah, yeah, well, right? that'd be a good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, hopefully Dante yeah. doesn't release this information in such a direction. I, I feel pretty good with them doing my genome and giving me the data back. So I have all the data in my hands. It's fairly well coded uh, in their hands. So it's behind a couple of firewalls and a couple of coding steps. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that it's uh, pretty safe out there. I, that's but, the kind of thing that I'd be up to like four in the morning looking at, you know, let's see, uh, what is my propensity for some kind of amnesia for having, a, you know, six fingers? I mean, there's got to be all kinds of yeah. stuff there. Oh, oh, they're all there. Six fingers. That's a common one. Really? So, yeah, that's a polydactyly is a known uh, autosomal dominant gene that's been out there for a long time, and we do have SNPs that are associated with it. You Uh, know, I actually have a cousin that was born with six fingers, and and she had to have it removed. Yeah. And, you know, I I know it's out there, but you you can actually predict that now with this uh, full genome sequencing. Oh, yes. Yeah, you can can identify whether or not you have the gene for it. Scott, it's always fun chatting with you, talking Neanderthal DNA, COVID, uh, full genome sequencing. I mean, we've really covered the gamut here. I don't think we have to talk for another few months now. (laughs) Well, (laughs) what we need to do is we need to sit down on the computer and do one of those until 4 o'clock in the morning things. That'd be uh, fun. And and check out your genome and see how well it fits. I'm going to have to uh, to save up my nickels for the 400 bucks for that. That sounds really fun. As always, Dr. Scott Woodward, he's drawn my blood. He's, he's probably had more effect on your life due to the research he did 20 years ago than you will ever know. Thanks for coming on, Scott. And David Allen Lambert is back. And uh, Dave, we got a question from Tim Ripkin in Bethesda, Maryland. And he says, guys, I can't find any probate record on my ancestor. Church records were burned and there are no vital records for the time period. What else can I look for? That's always the question, right? When you run out of records, Dave, what say you? 
Well, my genealogical advice shopping list for this one would be deeds. It's probably one of the most underutilized set of records. There's a lot of things online, but you generally don't find databases of deeds. You really have to browse through them, so that makes it part of the work. Yes, that's true, isn't it? There's a lot of work involved, but boy, the detail that can be revealed in a deed that can say, I'm leaving this to my beloved son. You know, you just go through the same names of the people you're looking for, and perhaps you'll find something left to the ancestor who you're trying to connect to them. That's true. My Nova Scotian ancestor did not leave a last will and testament. It was a deed for just that love and affection and one Canadian dollar for land that my great-grandfather got. So that connected that generation. And I have other relatives, again, didn't have probate, but you'll see like one of the eldest children listed then at all for all others. And then it lists all of the heirs of a particular person selling their rights to the land they inherited from their father or mother. You can find that genealogical connection in there as well. I mean, the sad thing with genealogical records are a lot of these deeds for a while, you had to go to the registry. But now with the technology and thanks to Family Search, you can find a lot of these deeds digitized and available on FamilySearch.org. That's true. You'll find also, however, that there are a lot of them right now that you actually have to go to the Family Search Center in order to look at them. Now, obviously, most of those centers are shut down at the moment, but there are people sitting in the parking lots getting in on the Wi-Fi <laughs> and doing that it from true. there, which is very clever. And uh, I, I think yeah, it would be very difficult to search through a deed on your phone in a parking lot, but it is an option right now. That is true. And, of course, a lot of registries have digitized for free their old records, and sometimes you can download them as TIFF images, JPEGs, or sometimes PDFs, where they've scanned them and the indexes are online. Just you know, look through those grantor and the grantee indexes, and you may be surprised that your ancestor that you didn't have a connection for parents – He's now listed in a deed that he received land from his parents. Uh, it's great stuff. Yeah, it really is. I remember one where the grandfather actually left land to the granddaughter and talked about his beloved late son and his only child. Now, we don't know who the granddaughter's mother was. Never been able to find that. But at least we got the link back two generations as a result of that deed. That's very true. And the other thing, unfortunately, uh, enslaved individuals are mentioned in deeds occasionally because they were regarded as property. So you may find that surprise in your genealogy, either a clue to your African-American ancestry, or you may find out that your ancestor owned enslaved individuals. Yes, that's right. I think a lot of people right now are also starting to index the enslaved individuals out of particular areas so you can find out how they connect to the enslaver and uh, mm -hmm. to, to other people who might be in that area as well. So uh, a great question. Thanks so much for that, Tim. Dave, we got this question from Melissa in Reno. And uh, she says, Fish and Dave, going through my great-grandmother's diary, I read about the elaborate funeral they held for her beloved St. Bernard. Is there some way to find out where the dog was buried or more about the dog? Well, that's an interesting question. I haven't ever thought much about that stuff. What do you say, Dave? Well, I mean, 
depending where she lived, I mean, there could have been an urban or a rural pet cemetery. You can, in fact, find that some of these existed in the 19th or early 20th century. But better yet, with the idea of being able to search your ancestors on, you know, say, find a grave, you know, you can actually search pets on find a grave. Try Fido Smith the next time or Beefy Jones. Oh, you got to yeah. put the last name in, huh? <laughs> the owner's mm-hmm. name? Well, that would tie in the ownership, correct. Okay. And people are photographing pet cemetery stones and putting them online. So man's best friend can be in the same entry in the same town if the pet cemetery <laughs> and the oh, human wow. cemetery are in the same place. Yeah. Of course, you know, there's a lot of pets who are just buried in their backyard where the house might be now. It could have been a large tract of land. So wherever her ancestor lived, I would first try that out uh, <laughs> or look in that county to see if there was a pet cemetery. Interesting. You know? I mean, it's entirely possible. Well, and then you got the um, dog licensing records that could tell mm-hmm. you something about, you know, maybe the years that your great-grandmother had the pet. And we think about obituaries and death notices, but, you know, small-town newspapers would record things like the beloved St. Bernard of the Lambert family has died, uh, <laughs> and a funeral was held in behind their cottage on Chestnut Street. So you can know Fido is buried back behind the old house that hopefully isn't now a Walmart parking lot. So there's a lot of different avenues you could proceed on. I mean, with newspapers being digitized, small-town news are great for that, especially if you're a pet bit somebody or oh yes like yeah or missing dog a runaway pet reward ten dollars you know please find fifi jones i mean she has run away her collar broke blah 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 you know or sometimes you even hear tragic news you know a beloved pet hit by a car or mm-hmm. something like that interesting so yeah you can find it you know what's interesting have you ever really stopped and thought where all of your pets from your childhood right to now are buried uh, no, I haven't. I mean, I've no, really... No, but it makes you think. It does make you think. I only know where one of them is because one was put down when I was in college and then another was put down after we had to give the dog away because it wasn't taking well to having a new baby in the house. And uh, right. then that dog got aggressive with the new people and the new people said, nope, not going to put up with it. And so the dog was put down. So I don't know where that one is, oh. but the one we had for almost 16 years ending in 2013, we know right where she is. And, you know, it, it's enormously challenging when you lose a close pet that's been part of your family oh, of for a long time. I mean, we don't talk about that much, but that really is an important part of the family. Not the same as the humans, but nonetheless, it's part Correct. of their story. And and that's certainly part of understanding who our people were. Well, I can tell you that my last dog sits on a bookshelf. His cremated remains are in a little pine box. And my instructions to my family is when they put me in my pine box is to put him in with me. So <laughs> if the Egyptians could be buried with, you know, falcons and dogs and cats, well, this old New Englander is going to be buried with King. David, thank you for the answer. And, of course, uh, thanks also to Melissa for the question. And if you have a question for Ask Us Anything, all you have to do is email us at askusanything at extremegenes.com. Talk to you again next week, Dave. Look forward to it. And that's our show for this week, Genies. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to catch the podcast version. If you missed any of the show or you want to hear it again, certainly share it with your friends. Talk to you next week. And remember, as far as everyone knows, for a nice, normal family. This has been Extreme Genes. Share your family story by going to FamilySearch.org.